Today's episode of Dog Nation Daily is brought to you by Kroger, fresh for everyone. Presented by DogNation.com, this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans. Here's your host, Brandon Adams. We got a little bit of interesting feedback from yesterday's show, and some of it I didn't necessarily expect. So we'll talk about what that is in just a couple of moments, and I'll have a response to the response, if you will, and that's kind of what we do sometimes on the internet. We just sort of go back and forth. So we'll do that here coming up in just a couple of minutes. Prior to that, I want to highlight an area in which George has kind of gotten a compliment, and we want to talk about why this matters here for this upcoming season. Obviously, the expectation is, once again in 2023, that Georgia will have a very good defense. Now, I am of the belief that in some respects, the Georgia defense in 2023 could resemble stylistically, if you will, a little bit more of what Georgia looked like defensively in 2021. No disrespect to the 2022 defense, but at times, you know, I I don't know that you quite saw as much teeth from Georgia in 2022 as you did from that defensive unit in 2021. I believe in 2023, though, you could really see something interesting and special from Georgia. And thankfully, as a Georgia fan, I am not the only one who apparently feels that way. I saw where our friends over at CBS Sports the other day were ranked their top front sevens for college football for the upcoming season and Georgia as it turns out ranks number one on this list let me read you a couple of sentences here from the uh, guy that wrote it and we'll kind of talk about what all this means for Georgia here Dean Strzok is the guy's name and he says that Georgia has boasted the nation's top rushing defense in three of the past four seasons and if this group what Georgia has in its front seven here this year that's linebackers plus defensive linemen if this group lives up to the billing it's going to continue to give opponents headaches as the Bulldogs go for a three-peat or as we say around here go for three and 23. Now I love the idea of giving opponents headaches because I think that sort of speaks to you'd like to have the number one position group in any area of course but front seven in particular I think it does create a headache for the teams that you play. I think front seven does create a lot of problems. What we've said before is is that we think at times Georgia has had such a good rushing defense but it's actually beaten teams before the game was even played. Y'all remember a couple of years ago, I think it was 2019, when Georgia played Florida, Dan Mullen was still there, and Dan Mullen essentially did not call rushing plays. He passed on almost every down. Now, that's a big difference from where Mullen had been going back to his time at Mississippi State and things like that. But against that Georgia defense that year, he just didn't try to run the ball at all. And after the game, they were you know media were pressing him not the only time that Mullen by the way was pressed after a game against Georgia but nonetheless media was pressing him on how come you didn't run the ball why didn't you do that and you know he basically shrugged it off and said oh we just didn't try to we we just didn't even didn't even want to try to run the ball now think about this in the SEC the idea of a big game in that particular case was going to decide the division and the coach on the one side said you know what today we're not even going to try to run the ball we're not we're not even going to worry about even trying to do that in a lot of ways, that probably explains why shortly thereafter Dan Mullen got fired. But nonetheless, that's what Georgia's defense is capable of doing. They beat you in your coach's meeting room before the game even begins because you look at the Georgia you know, defense on film, you look at this guy here and this guy there, and as you're kind of game planning, you're like, you know what, I'm not even sure it's even worth the effort to even try to run the ball because against this defense, we just simply can't do it. So that means that basically Georgia so often has been able to cut your legs off, or at least one of your legs off, 
prior to the game even beginning. You know you can't run the ball, therefore you better be able to pass it well, but by making yourself one-dimensional, you have now played into the hands of Georgia, who gets to do defensively to you exactly what it wants to do. That's the sort of chess match, the sort of battle of wits that, that Georgia's always waging against its opposition. And as Straka from CBS points out, when you are that good with rush defense, it does create a lot of major headaches for the teams that you're playing. And then in 2021, what we saw is Georgia with that great rushing defense once again also added the incredible pass rush that, you know, guys like Trayvon Walker and you know all the names, uh, the incredible pass rush they're providing. And the recipe was not just the best defense in the country, but quite possibly the best defense maybe of all time. And here we are in 2023, and CBS Sports analyst, guy who's following this stuff pretty closely, says, I think that Georgia's going to be able to go back and have the best front seven again. As I said a moment ago, if you could have the best of anything, having the best front seven is a very, very good place to be for what it does to your opposition. But it's important to note something here. It's important to note that it's not just the names, the Mikael Williamses, the linebackers like Smile Mondon and Jamon Dumas-Johnson, the, the, the defensive linemen obviously having to play an extra role this year knowing that Jalen Carter is not there anymore it's not just the names that make a Georgia front seven potentially so dominant for this upcoming season and the guys who've kind of constituted that the last couple of years making it as dominant as it has been it's not just the recruiting talent it's not just the names it's not just the future NFL potential of these kind of players it's also the way that they play as well that's what makes Georgia such a tough game we've talked a lot over the course of the last couple of days about who's afraid of playing whom and you know you know which games you have circled for any team that has to play Georgia you know that game is going to be circled for all those teams not just because Georgia's won championships but because Georgia is going to put you in a situation where you're feeling something from Georgia in a way that you don't always feel when you play other teams there was a really fun interview that uh, Nolan Smith who was obviously a great contributor previous Georgia front sevens he was on with Chris Long podcast that that um that that he has done and you know nolan was talking about his time at george and there's actually i'm not gonna play this for you but um there's actually a really funny part of this podcast where uh nolan kind of calls out todd hartley for uh uh basically not putting him you know where he wanted to be on one special team because nolan sort of bragged about the fact that he played on every single special team and he was one of the better players in every special teams unit except i think it was punt coverage he said that uh that uh hartley had put smile monin in a place that nolan smith wishes he could have been and he basically calls out todd hartley for uh you know for that which i think is really really funny uh so it's worth your time to go and hear the full interview and i'll put a link to this later on when we post the show at dognation.com but the point here is is that when you get a cbs analyst saying that george is going to have the best front seven in college football Talking about why that is true matters, and clearly the talent is a big part of that, and that's a lot of what Dean Straka wrote about at CBS Sports. But in addition to that, it's the fact that the front seven brings a mindset where on every single play, in every single game, no matter what the score is, George is going to provide a level of physicality that's hard, if not impossible, for its opposition to meet. And Nolan Smith, in this interview with Chris Long, sort of talked about that. Of The standard about this comes at practice. You know, Long asked Nolan, hey, what's the one thing 
that Kirby Smart would sort of get the most upset about, whether it be with you or anybody else? What's the one thing that Kirby Smart demanded in every instance when it comes to practice field? Because they've been talking about Bloody Tuesdays and the challenge of the Georgia practices and the way in which that prepared Nolan for his life in the NFL. You know, what's the one thing that Kirby Smart would absolutely get the most upset about during practice? And Nolan's answer to that question recently with Chris Long, I think, gives you an explanation for why the Georgia front seven is expected to be so good once again here this year this is what nolan smith recently said during a podcast interview oh man if you don't if you don't jog to the ball forget the rest of everything if you don't thud if you don't touch somebody and doing a play on a defensive play he gonna take you out yeah a hundred percent yeah if you have a white shirt on that georgia and you don't touch anyone from like a db anybody Mm. he gonna take you out the game or take you out of practice really yeah it's a pretty intense guy yeah, he wants somebody to hit people every time, every play, anytime that ball snaps. So what he's saying there about the white shirts is if you don't have a non-contact jersey on, in other words, like if you're out there wearing a jersey that lets people know that you're fully healthy and a full participant in practice, you better, as Nolan says, thud somebody on every single play. That he says that, that Kirby's going to not only take you out of the game, he's going to take you out of practice. He's going to go sit you on the sideline during practice if you don't, as Nolan Smith said, find somebody to hit on every single play so if that's the standard for practice every practice rep better include a thud every practice rep better include some contact you better seek out somebody to put your body on uh on every single practice rep well of course george's gonna play that well play that way in the games as well and so that's what georgia brings to the table here for the upcoming season once again you look at the outlook for the front seven here for georgia Guys like Mikael Williams, who we talk plenty about. Guys like these inside linebackers. The Smile Mondens when he's healthy again. The Jamon Dumas Johnsons. Uh, what's going to go on there along with the, uh, the, the defensive line? Freshmen looking to step up, get their chance to contribute on all of that. That's been a big recipe for Georgia success now for two straight national championship seasons. Every indication is it's also going to be a big recipe for the upcoming season there as well. And Dean Straka, the CBS analyst, may have said it best. That's a lot of headaches on the way for a lot of the teams that Georgia has to play. My name's Brandon Adams, and this is Dog Nation Daily, the daily podcast for Georgia Bulldogs fans, presented today by Kroger. And we are happy to have you with us no matter how you get to us today, live on video, 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We start even earlier than that on App and Sports Radio 960. Why do I do that sometimes? <laughs> Sometimes I mess up my own script. The point is, it's 9.45, first and 15, dognation.com, dognation app. 10 a.m., Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch. We are on the radio, but that's at noon on Athens Sports Radio 9.6, The Wrap. And podcast, Apple, Spotify, posting the show at the worldfamousdognation.com. Lots of ways for you to get in touch with what we do around here. We're just glad that you're a part of our show somehow, some way, whichever platform works well for you. Also, big thanks to our friends at Kroger who make it all possible. I'm happy to be once again telling you about a great event taking place at Kroger. You've heard me talk about it before. It's the uh, Kroger Chef Jr., but this time coming up, how about an Atlanta Braves themed Kroger Chef Jr. coming up for the month of June. Uh, you could come join your local Kroger Chef for a guided kids cooking experience making pimento cheese sandwich on June 24th at select Kroger locations. And each Kroger Chef Jr. Uh, uh, is a 30-minute class where you're going to receive an Atlanta Braves apron, a patch, a chef's hat, and a cookie cutter, plus the recipe card and the uh, box holder there only for $7 per child. So for the month of June, this is Braves-themed. That means that you do get that really fun Atlanta Braves apron to go along with learning how to make a really fun thing, the pimento cheese sandwich. There you go, $7 per child, 
Kroger Chef Jr. Uh, is the website. That's the word Jr. spelled out, J-U-N-I-O-R, KrogerChefJr.com. A lot of folks tell us all the time they love this Kroger Chef Jr. event, getting a chance to uh, cook some food, learn how to sort of prepare food, and oftentimes the act of preparing the food makes you a little bit more likely if you're a kid to maybe want to eat some healthier, uh, enjoyable foods. So Kroger Chef Jr. is great for that. And this particular month, in addition to all the other good stuff that you get for $7 per child, you also get the Atlanta Braves-themed uh, uh, apron there from our friends at Kroger there too. So that's really, really, really good stuff. Now, speaking of Kroger and good stuff, coming up here in a moment before we kind of go too far in the program, I'm going to give a reminder. Today is basically the last day. The deadline is the 17th. Basically the last day to get in on our great giveaway, courtesy of Kroger and Traeger Grills. We'll do that with you coming up in just a moment. Prior to that, let me take care of some business here. So I want to give you a heads up about something. In a moment, we're going to do something fairly impolite. We are going to call Jeff Sintel, who is in California. It is, as I'm speaking to you here now live, it is 10.14 a.m. That makes it 7.14 a.m. currently in California. I honestly don't know if Jeff will be awake or not. I don't know. Uh, typically speaking, he and I have a little chat, you know, oftentimes before, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, yesterday morning, he was up pretty early. This morning, we had a little bit of a Dog Nation check-in, kind of a team meeting, brief team meeting via phone, whatever. Jeff was not on, which means I'm sure he was probably still sleeping. So will Jeff Sintel answer the phone we try to call him here in a few minutes? I honestly don't know. I honestly don't know. But if he does, I want to talk to him because – there is a chance that Georgia could be watching for a commitment here really soon. There's a big crop of official visitors on the way to Georgia this weekend, including a pretty interesting wide receiver visitor that we want to maybe try to talk about. Obviously, Jeff has been out there in California for the Elite 11. He has seen Ryan Puglisi and uh, Dylan Riola with his own eyes. In fact, you should go to DogNation.com or the DogNation uh, video channels like DogNation on YouTube and see some of the video work that Jeff has done looking at Riola, looking at Ryan Puglisi. You should see all of that. It's really worth your time. So we're going to try to do a lot of this with Jeff Sintel coming up in just a minute if he's awake. And we'll, we'll just see how this goes in a minute. A little bit of uncharted territory for us, calling a guest that we're not quite sure if he's going to answer the phone or not, but we're going to try that with Jeff here in uh, just a little bit. So before we do any of that, let's go around the doghouse. Uh, poured today by our friends at the Finish Long Drink. Obviously, a lot of folks getting ready for a fun weekend, Father's Day, everything else. You better believe the Finish Long Drink will be a big part of our festivities, and it's a big part of Around the Doghouse for us here today. So I want to talk about, uh, for a moment, some of the schedule stuff that was out there yesterday. And let me first of all say this. I was going to play this clip for you, but we just don't really have time. Uh, Paul Feinbaum was on like one of the ESPN channels recently, and I thought he made an actually a pretty interesting point, which is maybe not always true for Paul, but in this particular case it was. That for all the chatter about the SEC this and the SEC that and adding in uh, Oklahoma, adding in Texas, as Paul Feinbaum, I believe, correctly points out, for all of that energy around Texas and Oklahoma entering the SEC, the big marquee game on the SEC schedule for the 2024 season is Georgia going to Alabama. And I think that's an important point to bring up here is that while Texas is new and different and Oklahoma and the SEC is new and different, it's still the two flagships in the SEC, Georgia and Alabama, 
who provide the biggest marquee headline game for the 2024 season. That is, assuming that Alabama can do its part to keep pace with Georgia here, something they were not able to do in the 2022 season. But if they want that game against Georgia to matter in 2024, they've got some work here during the 2023 campaign to even make that game feel as prestigious on paper as it appears to be right now. But I thought that Paul Feinbaum made a pretty good point about that, that you can make a big deal about Texas if you want. You can make a big deal about Oklahoma if you want. But this conference still belongs to Georgia. Georgia's chief opposition in this conference for now is still Alabama. So those two teams playing in 2024 ought to be the headline for that season. So I thought that Feinbaum made a pretty good point on that. So I wanted to shout that out as a pretty good point. Now, I also want to kind of, in the vein of talking about the schedule, respond to some of what I heard from yesterday's show. And I never know how anybody's going to take anything. It's just one of those things where, you know, you sort of put it out there and people respond however they want to. I did not anticipate getting a lot of feedback from what I said yesterday, but apparently some people kind of took issue with me saying that right now I don't make a big deal about who Georgia's playing in 2024 because with Georgia being as good as it is right now, I'm not quite so sure you can truly give Georgia, air quotes here, tough schedule what was it brutal schedule that's what uh uh one of the espn dudes uh, had said oh george got a brutal schedule in 2024 i'm not really quite so sure that 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 that's possible just given the fact that when you look at what george will play in its sec slate in 2024 in six of those eight games we would anticipate george at least being a double digit favorite and they're, go- they're going to be a point spread favorite in all unless something really wild happens georgia will be a point spread favorite in all 12 games in 2024 and it'll be at least double digit favorite in six of its eight sec games so from that standpoint by the time we get to 2024 um a lot of what Georgia is playing then will just sort of feel a little bit more like a normal schedule. It seems new and different now. Georgia doesn't play Alabama all that much in the regular season. Uh, Georgia has never played Texas in the regular season in our lifetimes, most of us anyway. Uh, So from that standpoint, it feels a little bit unique. It feels different. It feels new. But by the time we get here, this is going to be what Georgia has mostly been facing the last few years. A lot of regular season games, which Georgia is at least a favorite, if not a pretty sizable favorite. But Beyond that, there are even some Georgia fans who've kind of looked at all this and like, oh my gosh, Georgia has to go to Texas and Alabama in the same season. And what we've said in response to that is, y'all, the SEC schedule was going to get tougher. I mean, this is something that we've been on guard for for quite some time. You know, Georgia has been in the SEC East. The SEC East has included teams like Vanderbilt or Missouri or whatever else. You know, there have been some easier games in the SEC East at the bottom of this division compared to the bottom of the SEC West, and we have known for a while that that was going away. We have known for a while that adding a team like Oklahoma and Texas into the SEC was going to mean more games against quality opponents. We have known for a while that was going to be the way that things were. But I'm going to go back to something that was said on our show a couple of weeks ago. And, and Connor Riley was the one who said this. And I think it was a very astute point. And I think it's worth circling back to here right now. Is that I think Georgia's response to playing a tougher schedule in future years has been on full display. Because, by the way, it's not just a tougher SEC slate in most years moving forward. It's also an additional playoff game, expanding the playoff from from four teams to 12, which means you're going to have more games to play in the postseason to win a national championship. Everything about winning a national championship is destined to get tougher. Georgia has known that. So even though it's won the last two national championships, realizing that the road to future national championships is going to get tougher, Georgia is choosing to try to get better. 
And that's the thing you can't miss here. And, and, and this is the thing that if you're a Georgia fan ought to make you feel pretty comfortable, even as the schedule becomes more challenging, that Georgia seems willing to sort of rise up and meet the challenge. Connor on the show a couple of weeks ago said, in his eyes, that's why Georgia's going out and getting a quarterback like Dylan Riola. Riola is a different kind of quarterback than what this program has kind of had. Not to say that Georgia hasn't had effective quarterback play. Stetson Bennett became a historic figure playing that position. We think that Georgia could be in good hands this year if uh, Carson Beck takes the reins and becomes the full season starter. If there was no such thing as Dylan Riola or Ryan Puglisi, we think the future of a Gunnar Stockton and a Brock Vandergriff, whatever else, those two uh, you know, good quarterbacks could have bright futures there as well quarterback play at Georgia hasn't necessarily been a problem but it also hasn't necessarily been number one recruit in the country most hyped player in any given recruiting class that's not really what it's been that Georgia has won a national championship with as we talked about for a few minutes off the top of the show Georgia has won national championships with best front seven in the country best offensive line in the country you know certainly quality offensive play but not the explosive first-round pick type quarterback, not the kind of wide receivers that typically play with quarterbacks like that. That's not really what Georgia has been. But in a future year in which the SEC includes both Texas and Oklahoma, in which you no longer have the SEC East to kick around anymore, in a future year in which you have an expanded playoff where you have to win more games in the postseason to win a national championship, even the best team says, I need to get better to be able to kind of maintain my edge in college football. And that is what Dylan Raiola and his presence here at Georgia is all about. In fact, to uh, sort of accentuate this point a little bit more, I thought Ari Wasserman from The Athletic had an interesting piece about Raiola this week. Wasserman's out there, as our Jeff Centel is, at the Elite 11 in California. And Wasserman was kind of talking about how the presence of Dylan Riola on this Georgia roster coming up very soon sort of represents kind of a final frontier for UGA. We've said this many times in our own voice in many different ways. Wasserman becomes one of these national guys to now sort of echo that point. Let me read you a couple of sentences uh, from him from the pay site known as The Athletic. Uh, Wasserman says, yes, the Bulldogs are back-to-back national champions, but picture a world in which Dylan Riola goes to Athens, wins a Heisman, and adds another other national title to the trophy case that shows that five-star quarterbacks across the country uh i should say Wasserman says that shows five-star quarterbacks across the country that georgia and its staff belong in the conversation for them as a destinations for the very best quarterbacks in college football Wasserman goes on to say if that happens then who is catching georgia in the next decade I think it's a fair question. I don't believe it's a rhetorical question. It very well may be that no one is catching Georgia anytime soon. And it may very well be that what seems to be true is actually as true as it appears to be. That Georgia, who has had the best defense in college football now going back however many years and has used that as a catalyst for winning national championships, now wants an offense that's just as dynamic. It wants a season in the future where there's a quarterback like Dylan Riola or a quarterback capable of beating out Dylan Riola who takes the reins of this offense and Georgia may be ready in the future to do offensively exactly what it's been doing defensively which is dominating everyone that it plays and if that be the case then Georgia will be more than ready to step up and meet the challenge of an expanded more difficult SEC an expanded and possibly more difficult college football postseason Georgia by adding a quarterback like Dylan Riola that's the signal to fans to media to opposition and rivals whatever else that's the signal that Georgia is ready for whatever is coming next and that is around the doghouse here today on dog nation daily it is presented by our friends at the finish long during as I said before this is one of those weekends where you know you got the 
you got all kinds of fun stuff going on. And a lot of that's like around the pool or hanging out for Father's Day, the great cookouts and things like that that go on. You better believe that whatever we're doing here this weekend, there'll be a nice ice cold cooler of the finished long drink going with us to uh, be a part of all of that. And so you've heard me talk about it for a while, but maybe it's time now for you to try it yourself. So if you will go to the longdrink.com, you can learn more about this. You know, you see the video if you're watching, you see the can there. It looks like a beer, but it's not. It's a ready to drink cocktail. That means if you like mixed drinks, you'll love the uh, finished long drink. Uh, you'll enjoy the traditional, which comes in the blue can. I like that. It's got the grapefruit flavor, the gin kick. You've got the long drink zero. That's no carbs, no sugar. Long drink strong. That's eight and a half percent alcohol by volume. Long drink cranberry. That's always a fun option there as well for those who kind of like the cranberry flavor. I'm more of the grapefruit type guy, but a lot of folks love that cranberry. Uh, whatever way you want to go on this, the longdrink.com is the place to go to find out where you can pick some up golf courses literally everywhere uh every you know bars restaurants everything pretty much now but it seems like you see this at every golf course you ever go to so enjoy the finished long drink and find out more at the longdrink.com okay before we, we try to wake up jeff Sintel from his slumber let me also remind you of this there is just one final day to get involved in our Celebrate American Heroes contest, courtesy of Kroger and the Trigger Grills. As I said before, you know, this is like one of those great summer weekends where a lot of folks are kind of cooking outside. You got the, uh, you know, the barbecue thing going, or you got the, the dogs, the burgers, the steak, whatever else. Well, let me tell you, all of that food tastes so great on a Traeger Ironwood XL grill. And we're actually going to give one of those away. It's a $2,000 value. This is an amazing, amazing uh, grilling apparatus, if you will. Uh, and our friends at Kroger are going to give you a $500 gift card there too. And here's all you have to do to make yourself eligible to win. You simply have to go to dognation.com and upload a photo or a short video telling the story of how an American hero has impacted your life. And when I say American hero, I don't mean like Abraham Lincoln. I mean just someone from your community, you know, someone from your family. Telling that story could make you the winner. And if you upload a photo or a short video, if you do something like that, that can make you a winner here, courtesy of Traeger Grills and Kroger. You've been hearing me talk about this now for a couple of weeks, but you need to know that this is the last day where you have a chance to do that. You've got to go to dognation.com, your, put your photo up there, uh, uh, input your short video there and from that someone's going to be selected to be the winner here of the traeger ironwood xl grill and the 500 dollars gift card courtesy of kroger we love celebrating american heroes this time of year dog nation's all about that as we move towards the fourth of july we are also solidly in the middle of the summer grilling season here so a great time to be doing a great promotion so last day is today to get involved in this the submission period ends on june 17th so go to dognation.com uh, tell your photo, uh, share your photo, share your short video, and you could be the winner. By putting the photo or the video in there, that makes you the winner, right? Or you at least have a chance to be the winner uh, based on all of that. So you can find out more about the contest there at dognation.com, but put in your photo, put in uh, your short video, and you could be uh, selected as a winner of the Traeger Ironwood XL Grill and the $500 gift card courtesy of Kroger, dognation.com for more on that. All right, have we successfully woken up Jeff Sintel? Jeff is ready to go here. Hate to do it, but there's a lot of information we want to get from him. So let's get ready to do that right now today here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger. There's the alarm right there. There you go. The, the alarm sounds. From Athens and across the SEC or wherever the recruiting trail may lead, here's a DogNation.com insider. All right, so I have to know from Jeff Sintel, who, by the way, is in California right now for the Elite 11 finals. 
Jeff, were you asleep? Did we wake you up? Because if we did, I sort of feel bad about that. Because as I'm speaking to you here near 1030, that means 730 Pacific time. Were you still asleep? Go for three in 2023. 2024 <laughs> home schedule. Two Heisman five. Huh. Brandon, Brandon. Oh, man, you caught me in some, uh, you caught me in some REM, but actually – Watching these quarterbacks out at the Elite Eleven, it looks like uh, it looks like the present is better than any dream, man, for the future of Georgia football. Uh, yeah, man, I'm awake, man. I've got kids, man. You know what it's like. You got kids. You you were up at seven thirty all the time. Well, I'll also say this: you're right with kids. That is the case. But as you kind of get to be our age too, you know, it's like when we were younger. You traveled like one of these bowl games or like a recruiting event or something like that. Maybe you were kind of excited about like the nightlife in that particular town that you're going to. But at this stage of my life, I get excited about road trips for the purpose of being able to have a quiet hotel room and being able to sleep in like solitude, total quiet, no interruptions whatsoever. Like, unfortunately, at this stage of the life that I'm in, the idea of a quiet hotel room is. And I listen, I love my family. I'm not trying to say anything bad about that. But the idea of like a like an absolutely quiet peaceful hotel room is one of the greatest things that life can provide at this stage of the life that I think you and I are both in. Granted, that's, that's agreeable. Uh, we've all been there. Um, I tell you, there's something, I don't know, going through the airport, Brandon, I guess it'll be stamped with me and, and I'm wondering how you'll feel and all dog nation will feel, but you just get a good feeling going into LAX and yeah. you know, being around Redondo beach or, you know, Pots and Nobles or, you know, Malibu, like these areas that are now dripped in memory of a back-to-back national championship, they just kind of stay with you, and it kind of colors every experience you're in L.A. For some reason, L.A. is a very cheery town for me now. No, 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 no doubt. It was very good to Georgia back in January. I think that's a really good point. And I obviously want to talk about uh, all of that you've seen out in L.A. this week, especially with the quarterbacks, Dylan Ryle and Ryan Puglisi, there's a lot of fun stuff to get to, and I hope folks have seen the video that you've put up, the video that you have been putting up, because it makes us all feel like we're there watching this Elite 11 finals take place. But can we take care of some business before we get there as just sort of a way of kind of you know covering all the bases here for a moment, including the idea that that you know Georgia could be on commitment watch in the very near future. I want to show our audience a very interesting message on Twitter. You know Georgia's already had some great success convincing a defensive lineman not to take a visit to Michigan, and maybe they've done that again with a, is it Makai? Is it Boro? Is that how you say it? Boro. Um, he says I'm not going to be going to Michigan on the 23rd. I'm going to be at Georgia this weekend, and after that, I'm shutting down my recruitment and committing on June 19th. So, Jeff, here's what I'll tell you. Uh, One of my favorite programs in our state is Creekside. I love them uh, because they'll play anybody. They played uh, East St. Louis this past year. They played Dutch Fork out of South Carolina. They will literally play anyone. They're one of my favorite programs. Boro is as big as any guy we've ever talked about here in this space. Uh, 24-7 sports lists him about 390 pounds. Obviously, he needs to be lighter than that to play at Georgia. But a big space-eating nose guard, uh, another defensive lineman that uh, Georgia may try to to pluck from the hands of the Michigan Wolverines here. Uh, what can you tell us about this as maybe another one of those, I guess, recruiting battles to watch here right now? Well, I'll echo your sentiments about Creekside. I mean, it's been that way for forever. You know, the Barry brothers, Barry, uh, Eric Barry, one of the legends of Georgia high school football. That program has a very storied tradition. But, you know, that's a, that's some late juice, like maybe the last four to five weeks on the recruiting trail with Georgia there. 
Uh, and Brandon, you may be a little, maybe a, you may be a few Kroger breakfasts away from uh, the actual weight total. I've been told he's been close to 400 at some point. And, you know, that brings to mind, I think, what is it, the Gators, that, that team, I think we still pay attention to down south, that, you know, how big their nose tackles were have gotten over the last couple of years as well. And that's just really important, Brandon. You and I know that when Georgia really had Jordan Davis back in there in 2018 and it kind of galvanized the front, when Georgia had a big anchor in there, the rest of the, the rest of the defense kind of just came around that, was built together around it. And that's why you're looking for a guy like that, Brandon. That guy would be a nose, that would be a shade nose, and that would be a guy on rundowns that says, yeah, don't bother trying to run the ball on the Georgia Bulldogs right now because you're going to put two on two on me in this case, meaning me would be the big defensive tackle. And, uh, and then all the linebackers would come free, all the all-American linebackers. Brandon, the potential depth chart for a true zero-tech nose at Georgia – First of all, you'd have six foot five and a half, three hundred and fifty pound Jamal Jarrett, and he'd be the smaller one. That's that's crazy. No, that is exactly right, man. That's a gigantic, gigantic young man for sure. How about the rest of the weekend upcoming? We've kind of done the big hype for the weekend visitors now two weeks in a row. This becomes the third here. What else should we know about the uh recruiting weekend on tap here for the dogs? Well, this one, Brandon, is going to resemble an average pedestrian Power 5 SEC contender weekend. Uh, you've got Drew Miller, the nation's number one punter. That's a commitment coming into town. Brandon, there's only a, a mere one top 50 prospect. That's Aiden Breland out of modern day in California. There's only two top 100 prospects in town this weekend. A couple more offensive tackles to look at in Nyer Daniels. And then also Jonathan Daniels um, out of uh, Florida. Uh, perhaps, man, I, I know this because he's fresh in my mind, and what a really, really super young man. He wants to be a doctor one day. But uh, one of the things I tweeted about yesterday, Brandon, and you got to like this young man's style because I don't know if it was a sizing issue because this young man has such a very, very long arms. But Chris Cole out of Virginia – he had to wear – what he had in his bag is he had a Georgia uh, T-shirt. And he, while everybody else at the All-22, which is kind of like the defensive combine that's going to support the Elite 11 today as they do seven-on-sevens in about a couple of hours, uh, a couple of hours local time. But Chris Cole was the only guy in a sea of young men in white, all 22 Elite 11 tops. He was wearing a black T-shirt. Okay. It was a Georgia shirt with the Power G all over it, Brandon. You'd be proud to wear this shirt. And, and like, Dylan Raiola is, like, getting ready. He's warming up. And he looks over there, and he jogs by, and he sees a guy in a black Georgia T-shirt. And he's like, hey, man, I like that shirt or nice shirt. You know, something to the effect of calling out the shirt. And it was Chris Cole. Chris Cole, who left last night, he had an 11 a.m., 11 p.m. flight last night back to Virginia to go to Georgia for his official wow. visit. And, and Brennan, I know how you. And afterward, he was like, "Hey, man, was that Dylan Raiola?" And I said, "Yeah." He's like, man, I should have gotten, like, gotten a picture with him. And that, that right there, my friends, is what you send Jeff to L.A. for. That insidery type stuff where. The guy on his way to his OV had a Georgia shirt in his bag to wear, and yet he wanted to know, is that Dylan Raiola? Should I get a picture? And here's the really clear picture, Brandon, with Chris Cole. He is a national Nike indoor finalist in the hurdles. 
with one of the top six times in the nation. Brandon, he's about 6'3", 210 pounds. I'm going to get a little, I'm getting a little animated talking about this guy because when I talk to this young man, there's a light between his eyes. There's a, a, a dazzling intelligence to him. And, oh, yeah, he's a four-star linebacker that everybody in the country wants as well. And, Brandon, when I say linebacker and you think, okay, Sammy Brown this way, Joe, Joe, Joseph Phillips this way, and you got Justin Williams coming in on an official, and you start wondering about Demarcus Riddick and Georgia dig in and hunker down and still hold on to that commitment. Suddenly the Chris Cole uh, recruitment, he even, he even addressed it last night. He's like, man, I think the door or the window for me in Georgia is getting, getting, starting to open a little, little bit and a little bit more. Um, Chris Cole going to take his official visit to Georgia this weekend, and he was already rocking the G out in Redondo Beach yesterday at the All-22. Yeah, I was going to mention that. I mean, you know, Joseph Phillips is one of those guys, uh, linebacker out of Alabama, that I think a lot of folks were thought was probably heading Georgia's way, and then at the last minute it sort of wasn't. Um, and obviously you kind of talk about what the response that might be, but it does put – and I'm, I'm not trying to do the what's wrong with the Georgia linebacker recruiting because obviously Georgia's, you know, cleaned house at that spot, you know, now for a number of years. But with Sammy Brown making the decision that he made and with Joseph Phillips choosing Auburn here this week, it does put a little bit of an additional spotlight on the linebacker position, doesn't it? I think what it does, Brandon, and this is a true Georgia thing, uh, it's kind of like Georgia's potential uh, – value at the linebacker position kind of like the gas prices out here in LA which are like almost seven dollars but like the thing is it's going to feel like it's going to feel like Jaden Hazelwood and George Pickens it's going to feel like Owen Popo and Nicobe Dean man somehow losing these two linebackers is going to make Georgia an even rosier picture for a guy like Justin Williams out of Texas and mm-hmm. Justin Williams Brennan I don't know I don't think I need to remind you that's the number one linebacker in the country and a five-star out of Texas. He yeah. takes his official visit next weekend with his teammate, who certainly very clearly, very publicly, very openly loves the dogs. That's Joseph Jonah Ajanye, uh, who's coming in next weekend. And you just see Georgia. And, you know, in some ways, Brandon, it probably makes the most sense. Bruce Cole, should he choose Georgia, would probably be the prototype of what they need in the 2024 class, provided they could get a guy like uh, Demarcus Riddick to stay, who Riddick's ready to play for anybody in the country right away. But you get a guy like Chris Cole, and he understands he still needs to develop. He still needs, he still needs to understand he's just getting started with his football arc about who, how good he possibly can be. And you know, he verbalized to me last night. He's like, you know, if I don't play right away at a place like Georgia, that's fine. I just need to be prepared to play and be developed to play. And certainly them dogs are going to do that under Glenn Schumann and Athens. Uh, let's talk quarterbacks here for a moment. The video stuff that you've been putting up of Dylan Riola and, of course, Ryan Buglisi is fantastic. I want to talk about Riola here first. And I, I say this kiddingly. I'm n- not in any way serious about this. But so on the show yesterday, we kind of made a big deal about the fact that uh, 24-7 Sports had kind of named Dylan Riola as the alpha dog for his Wednesday performance. And even like a guy like Bruce Feldman, who's not really a, a recruiting reporter, even he had kind of raved about what he'd seen from Dylan Riola. But then our friends from on three had only ranked Riola as like the seventh best quarterback of the day. Listen, I got friends that work at 24-7. I got friends that work at on three. I'm not mad at anybody here about anything. 
but it almost seems like you're trying to like flip back and forth on cable news to sort of find out what's going on in the world of well this one channel says this this one channel says that like it sort of feels like there was a little bit of a divided opinion about how the quarterbacks are uh, you know performed uh there this uh this this particular week jeff you're there what can you tell us yeah man opinions will vary especially scouting opinions well there was certainly a market correction uh, yesterday, whatever eyeglass or whatever whatever filter you were looking for when you're looking at the play by Dylan Riola. I think uh, on three had him as their MVP after the, uh, after the uh, pro day workout yesterday where you, you get 20 throws and every throw is graded a one, two, or three. Uh, three is a perfect dime. A two is a ball that's, uh, that's caught and is accurate, but the receiver had to make some sort of adjustment to it. And then, you know, ones are, uh, you know, very poor throw. But for for a lot of this, Brandon, I, I, let me let me just tell you a few things about Riola that I think will put this in a very, very clear perspective. Um, number one, a, a lot of – everybody's built him up, and they, we know he's the number one prospect. We know he has all the number one quarterback, been there for the longest time. He's got the NFL lineage with both his godfather, Matthew Stafford, and his father, Dominic Riola. Um, but, Brandon, he just – started playing quarterback in the ninth grade. He was a JV quarterback in Burleson, Texas. He was coached by John Kitna there, former NFL quarterback John Kitna. And he was a JV player his freshman year. And so he's, this is all still relatively new to him. And yet the way all these scouting types observe him is they say terms like easy gas and the ball just zips out of his hand where it looks like it's, he's not really trying. Now that's just the way he's been trained through years with the last couple of years with quarterback trainers and quarterback guys. But, you know, he, he really understands his feet. His power comes from his feet and his base. I think I wrote on one of our stories from Dog Nation, it looks like he's barely jogging when he's really the effort level on his face when he's like letting the ball rip. When it actually he told me last night that he's like, man, I'm actually really trying to throw that sucker. It just doesn't look like it. But it just comes becomes so effortlessly and he can push through certain balls of the field. And then the, the contrast there is Ryan Puglisi that, um, I mean, it looks like he's in the 14th round of a creed fight. Uh, and it, what he's doing is he looks like he's choosing violence when he throws the football. He's putting all the mustard he can on it. Like they track this thing now through some sort of technology and motion capture and um, analytics that how fast the ball is going or like a, a throw speed. And I think Puglisi's yesterday was like 85 on a scale or, or or 80 on a scale, 87 on a scale, and I think the top score was 95. Um, Dylan Raiola had a 44 um, out of a possible 49 at the Pro Day Challenge. That's probably, Brandon, the, the, the Elite 11 staff, the ones that have been doing this for 25 years now. I think their rankings are the ones that really matter, and I think Dylan was number number two in the in the shooting match in the, in the race for the Elite 11 MVP Dylan was number two heading into the pro days last night. He only threw 20 balls last night. And one thing, Brandon, you're going to love this, and you're going to be here for this. And, you know, I, I guess I'm allowed to share this, but the folks at the Elite 11 are embracing the Puglisi uh, Dylan Riola uh, narrative. And what they've done is they've said internally that whatever groups they have, whatever uh, drills they have, they're going to put Riola and Puglisi together. Fun. And then last night, when they did the pro day, they lined up and oh, just on a whim, just by sure, sure, lady luck, they had Puglisi going 
And then right after that, Dylan Riola was going. You know, they're going to stomp that narrative. They're going to embrace that narrative, the two Georgia quarterbacks at the event, the back-to-backs for the back-to-back national champions. Um, and that's, that's another intriguing thing, just watching the two of them. They're dapping each other up. They're friendly, kind of like you on the tour to, on, the, on one of our Dog Nation invasion tour buses that I'm sure, sure will get rolling again in 2024. Love it. Um, they just seem like buds, man. And, yeah, I, I find it really odd. That's one of the pieces I wrote about you yesterday morning out here in L.A. is that between the two of them, Brandon, they've been to Georgia about 20 times or 15 times if we want to get real accounting book here. But they've never met before. And one's from Arizona. One's, one lives in Wooster, Mass., but he, he goes to boarding school in Connecticut. And they had to go all the way out to L.A. At, at, to meet for the first time as many times as they've both been to the University of Georgia together independently. And um, I think Dylan Riley said it very, very well. As he said, we're going to be future teammates. We hit it off instantly. And he, he marveled about the ball and the way that uh, Ryan Puglisi can sling it. Uh, Ryan said the same things about Dylan. I mean, it really looks like we've got a Hallmark movie right now here at the Elite 11 about uh, best buds uh, hanging out and uh, spinning the rock. And we're watching some great video that you put together here right now. For those who are tuning in on video, we're seeing that. I want to ask you about Puglisi specifically in a minute to close out our conversation. But one more thing on Ryla before we get there. And I don't pretend to be a scout. I don't, I don't have a scout's eye. That's not what I do for a living. But what you bring up, though, is something that I do feel like I notice when I watch the very best quarterbacks. And if I'm ever in a situation where I'm actually in person with those, uh, you know, throwers, that's one of the things I do notice is, is that when the throw looks effortless, like when when the perceived effort doesn't match the result. In other words, when the guy doesn't look like he's trying, but the ball just kind of shoots out of the hand and spinning it, as they like to say, like that's the thing that we can all notice, right? And that is that kind of vibe I do get from Riola which is the ball just looks different coming out of his hand and he's not overexerting himself to create that. And the value there is it becomes replicable, right? The reason why you want to be able to throw the, as has been kind of said this week, the easy gas here, you know, easy velocity. The reason why you want to be able to provide that is because that means you can replicate it over and over and over again. And to me, as an untrained eye, as a non-scout, that is, I think, the one thing I feel like I see from Dylan Rioli is just the ease with which he throws the football, and you just notice that differently about him than maybe the average quarterback. Yeah, one of these things, Brandon, you pick up, and, and I kind of, I kind of term this as kind of like, it, it's kind of like, you know, when you, you're watching a guy or you're, you're sitting about, you know, you know, friends. I know, Brandon, you got a lot of highfalutin friends, but they're <laughs> trying to choose whether they want a Testarossa, they want a Maybach, they want a you know, the top-of-the-line uh, European Lambo type of sports car um, that would certainly be driven at a very safe speed, of course. But, like, what you've got is you've got – it's kind of hard to pick the, nook, the the bells and whistles and the nooks and crannies about what's different on the very top, top shelf of the best in the world. And that's what you see looking at these quarterbacks. Like, from doing this so many years, I'll use some Georgia examples. Man, Jacob Eason could swing that rock. I mean, he could literally turn it into, like, a seed going down the field. But that wasn't the most catchable ball, and that's why through Georgia history, Jake Fromm was able to have such a quick orientation. It was a, such a quick study in the Georgia offense is that Jake Fromm threw a very catchable ball. Receivers thought it was easy to catch. They could reach out for it. The things I noticed, because, man, I, with everybody throwing these footballs, um, it looks like there's a 1%, 2%, 3% difference in all of the balls, but 
the things I notice is like, does the quarterback look off his platform? Does he look uh, off platform is now a very cool term for uh, scouting quarterbacks. Yeah. But what I mean is it herky jerky. Does it look like he's forced it? Was there an, was there a little aggregation in, in their windups? And, you know, smooth is what you look for. And with Raiola, I have no worries about him being able to get the ball there, especially when he gets combined with the Georgia offensive line to give him time. And the receivers at Georgia just continue to get better and better than they've ever been in the Kirby Smart arrow and will continue to do so when Raiola's there. And then you're going to have running backs. They're going to make sure the defensive, the defensive coordinators honor Georgia's run game. So you're going to see a lot of play action. You're going to see a lot of him sticking the ball in the belly of a running back and then to let that thing go. And what's, what I see a lot with him, and I put a tweet up, uh, last night coming out of pro days is I just see a lot of with, with Dylan Raiola is that the receivers are not having to adjust a lot to his balls, yeah. especially on a lot of the scripted throws. And let I me mean, mind you, I kind of set my opening comments about Dylan for a reason. He's only been a quarterback for since his ninth grade year, the JV game. I, th- I found it kind of humorous, Brandon, that the first play he ever, the first pass he ever got to throw in a real game and his family was, Nervous as I'll get out because they'd never seen him play quarterback in a game before either. Was I think it was a two by two concept where he threw. A, I mean, he had to sling that thing downfield for a thirty-eight yard gain, and it was a completion. And after that, the Dylan Raiola train was rolling. And you know, a lot of a lot of great things we've learned about Dylan. Had a chance to spend some time with him after the after the uh, sessions each of the first two days so far. And Brandon, he's leaning into the Pat Mahomes narrative. Uh, he's worked out with him before. Hmm. Uh, you see a lot of similarities in their game and what he's decided to do. And I kind of laughed about it when I was talking to him the other day. And is kind of breaking some news here a little bit is that Raiola wants to wear 15 in Athens. Of course, 15 is obviously the number for Patrick Mahomes, the Super Bowl champion quarterback, one of the top three quarterbacks in the world by anyone's measure. And he's embracing that. He wants to wear 15 at Georgia. Uh, maybe 15 will be special before he gets to Georgia. But you've got a you've got a lot of things to like about Dylan, and everybody's going to build him up. And Brandon, I mean Brandon, everybody is going to analyze everything he does. Like you 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 hear the whispers, kind of like from Game of Thrones around the around the stadium or around the sidelines when it, you know he's not allowed to throw a bad ball, or they're like, oh, you know, you know why? Maybe we should think about somebody else for number one. You can hear all the wheels turning, but really, you talk about the safest, easiest, cleanest projection and what. Most of the analysts will agree it's a down year for quarterbacks, and Dylan has everything you want. Think of prototype size; he's right there. The arm. Um, if you wanted to kick the tires on this particular Testarossa and Maybach, you'd probably go, well, not as mobile as you'd like. You know, he didn't really run the ball really well his junior year, and that's something you'd like to see a little bit more ability, a little bit more escapability for Dylan. And he's aware of that. Uh, they're cognizant of that fact, and that's what he's working on as well for his senior year, to just be a little bit more mobile, to buy some time when a play breaks down and scan downfield. All right, very quickly here, because I've kept you very long, but I did want to focus on Puglisi for a moment here, too, because you know, you look at who's here at this camp. Putting Dylan Raiola aside for the moment, pretending he doesn't exist, you know, you got the Aaron Nolans and the Julian Sayings and the Jaden Davises and all the guys that over the course of the last you know couple of years we've talked about from time to time here during this space. How does Ryan Puglisi fit in with those top national quarterbacks in an event like this? He's clearly gotten less attention uh, from Georgia fans than, than Dylan Raiola has, and you understand why that is. But when you compare just Puglisi to guys like I just mentioned, how do you think that Puglisi has fit in with them this week? 
I think somehow they've found the perfect, perfect uh, complement to Raiola in this class because a lot of guys would have been like, no way, nope, no sir. Or then even the, the, the five-star quarterback would have been like, had a preference to, yeah, I want to be the only quarterback in this class. But Brandon, what it does, and this is a term near and dear to your heart, is it, it allows and affords Georgia quarterback insurance because, like, let's say Dunrail is the man and it's a playoff game against Oklahoma or it's an SEC game now against Oklahoma and it's the third quarter and he has to come out for whatever reason because, hey, this is a violent game in football. You want the other guy in the class, the other guys on the depth chart, to be very capable. But we see to me feels like if he was a standalone guy at this event, it feels like Carson Beck in 2020 where he's one of the best guys there. He belongs. Remember, Brandon, I would – I would probably get up on the table and say Georgia had their choice of a lot of these guys when Puglisi was still when Puglisi was coming open as a recruit last summer and then going into October. And they had a choice of a lot of those guys, and I feel that they could have had Saiyan if they wanted him. They could have had Jaden Davis perhaps if they wanted him. But they really liked Ryan Puglisi, man. That was the guy they wanted. And you got to remember, Brandon, Ryan went into so many places: Alabama, Ohio State, Penn State. And had one day workouts and came away with an offer. There's a lot to love about Ryan Puglisi. Ryan's got a little bit of Gunner Stockton to him, a little bit of Stetson Bennett to him. If you want to think about maybe the quarterback DNA that you see in him, you know Ryan told me he he was ready to commit after his visit when they when they offered him. He was going to commit to Munkin uh, back when they offered on that visit. But the only thing there is his family wasn't there with him, and he wanted his family there with him when he made the commitment. Um, he's been a dog for quite some time. This is a quarterback, Brandon. NIL was not a concern at all for Georgia heading in um, or with Puglisi. They don't, they don't feel that that was something they needed to talk about after their fourth, fifth, sixth, and seventh visits. Um, and when Georgia talked about NIL on the official visit, that was quite fine with Puglisi and his family. This is a family that absolutely loves the fit, Brandon. You'd love this, and this is some of the, the color commentary we can bring. Um, I think uh, Ryan Puglisi's dad, Daniel, was wearing a red, pretty sharp red-looking Georgia hat um, mm. on the sidelines, on the bleachers, kind of going going nuts a little bit, being a proud parent, watching Ryan throw. And then the same thing for Dominic Riola. He had on his Georgia gear. He had on his Georgia quarter zip. Well, it's been very chilly out here in L.A., probably mid-60s. It feels like 50s in Georgia. Always very windy. The quarterbacks are throwing into a, maybe a constant – element of win while while they're working and still looking good and again we got pro days today pro days yesterday excuse me we got seven on sevens today and you know what if there's any sort of uh irony in the world which continues to happen here in la they might just put dylan and dylan and uh ryan on the same seven on seven team as well and that would certainly make it easier for this reporter to cover both of them at the same time. <laughs> That's uh, fun stuff, Jeff. Hey, thanks for being here uh, from out in California. Uh, great coverage, wonderful video. We're looking forward to uh, kind of pouring over that more here over the course of the weekend. I'm sure a lot of Georgia fans are getting ready to settle in and watch every one of those throws and dissect them and you know break them all down. So we appreciate you providing that. Safe travels coming back. Hope you have a happy Father's Day there as well. And Jeff, we will talk to you back here on Dog Nation Daily presented by Kroger again very soon. Yeah, guys, we're going to have some Dog Nation fillets type content going up on YouTube later today. Uh, we're going to have the full pro day uh, throws, all 20 throws by both Puglisi nice. and uh, Riola will also be up on our new YouTube channel first, and then it will go to our streaming platforms. And, folks, let me throw out one plug here. Brandon won't mind me doing one bit. Is Dog Nation has a robust bursting with content 
uh, YouTube channel. You can For subscribe sure. to it. Just go to YouTube, Dog Nation YouTube, and you're going to find like one-on-one interviews with Puglisi, one-on-one interviews with Raiola, their throws, the commentary, and everything else from the Elite 11. We got it for you. And, uh, hey, man, appreciate you. See you, see, you, see you later. Great stuff, Jeff. Thanks for your time. Take it easy. Let's take a look around the rest of the league. This is SEC Through. So, so I think the Frost-Nixon interviews may have actually been shorter than that interview was with Jeff Sintel. He was on for <laughs> quite some time. But I'll also say that's the best signal Jeff's ever had with us. Crack of dawn in California. He had perfect signal. Sometimes right down the road. It doesn't always quite work out that way. Uh, so uh, really good stuff with Jeff. Uh, honestly, as he said, go to that YouTube page. Watch all those videos. See all of that. I'm talking about really, really, really uh, up close and personal with both Dylan Raiola and Ryan Puglisi as they perform there at the Elite 11 Finals. This is good with Jeff, so make sure you check all of that out. also kind of reminds me a little bit, Jeff back in California, as he said, you know, LAX being there brings back memories of that national championship. And, you know, that final day, I guess the last time Jeff would have been in California prior to being right there, you know, the Tuesday after the national championship, he and I, uh, Rusty, we like spent the day because we weren't flying out until like later on that night so we had a whole day to kill in california after dog nation daily and um like we went to malibu now can you imagine this you know jeff from gilmer county me from hall county rusty's from floyd county that's a lot of north georgia to be there in malibu but we were like going to all we like you know basically hit all the spots in malibu i mean just just it was it was quite a sight to behold a lot of north georgia uh to be uh, in malibu there but what a great way to sort of celebrate the day after a national championship and honestly like that part of california really is pretty you can say what you want to but that part of california is gorgeous gorgeous and so uh fun to think back on those great memories of a second straight national championship for georgia go for two and 22 as we say around here and who knows what new memories are in store for us here as we head towards 2023 there as well i do know this Speaking of making memories, a uh, chance to do that on a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. So I found out this. So we're actually pretty close to a little weekend cruise getaway we have coming up for my family. And uh, my kids are already packing for it. Like, this is what you do when you're a kid. Like, like they're already packing. It, the, the cruise is not until next weekend. But uh, they're already packing for it right now. They're getting ready. They're getting all the stuff together. And the truth is, we're kind of doing some of that as well. Those of us who are the adults uh, in our family, we're just getting excited about it because that's what you do. You get excited about a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. I'm telling you right now, if you have not experienced the same thing, now is the time to do it. Shop around for all those itineraries. Talk to our friend Jessica Slater. You can give her a call, 770-718-9147. That's 770-718-9147. And you can talk to Jessica about what's right for you, depending on where you might live. You know, for me here in the Atlanta area, many of you are obviously close to where I am. Most of you really are, the majority of you, certainly. Uh, For us, the easiest way to take a Royal Caribbean cruise is to go out of Port Canaveral. Port Canaveral is obviously on the coast, but it's just kind of past Orlando. So you've got to go down the Florida Turnpike, go past Orlando, boom, you're right there at Port Canaveral. It's an easy drive uh, to get down there and get settled in. So pretty much all the cruises I take, we sail out of port canaveral but for you maybe something else is more convenient because of where you might happen to live Uh, or maybe you kind of think about a specific itinerary a specific opportunity that kind of only goes out of one port for instance january of 2024 when icon of the seas debuts that's going to be going out of the port of miami so if you want to be a part of the biggest and the 
the, the newest that Royal Caribbean has to offer when Icon of the Seas debuts, that's where you're going to want to go, starting in January there down in the Port of Miami. So there's all kinds of awesome opportunities right now for a Royal Caribbean cruise vacation. You can do what we're about to do, take the three-night cruise. You can take the seven-night cruise. You can do a four-night cruise or even like some five-night itineraries, depending on where you might be going. Uh, there's all kinds of awesome stuff. So talk to Jessica, figure out what's right for you, and get your Royal Caribbean cruise vacation planned. And by the way new information potentially on the way about the dog nation cruise for 2024 some have said some are saying bigger and better than ever can't confirm nor deny but some are saying so we'll find out more about that with that said let's go cruise around the sec right now courtesy of royal caribbean so yesterday we did winners on the sec schedule release we talked about the teams that probably got a little bit of a favorable draw we mentioned texas we mentioned lsu i said pay attention to auburn uh, maybe South Carolina, you might could say that about uh, relative to expectations. They may have gotten a slightly favorable draw there. Let me give you the opposite side of that. The teams that I think got dealt a pretty tough hand. Some would say that Georgia's in that category. We've certainly had plenty to say about Georgia, for, so let me focus on some of their teams here just for a moment. Let me start with Oklahoma. And I thought that Colin Cowherd, uh, I saw a, a clip from him where he kind of made a point about Oklahoma, that if Oklahoma isn't careful – Oklahoma could have happened to it in the SEC what happened to Nebraska going to the Big Ten and I sort of get the point that Colin's making and I don't think it's an unfair thing to say that when you come to the SEC when you play a far different schedule than what you're used to playing that could be tough on you I think if you're really obsessed with college football you sort of know that Nebraska's issues have gone beyond just the fact that they're playing teams like Ohio State and Michigan. Nebraska's had a hard time beating uh, Big Ten West teams. And frankly, the bottom of the Big Ten West is not much easier than what the Big 12 would have been or anything like that. So Nebraska's issues are about more than just, hey, tougher league, better competition. Nebraska's losing even to some bad teams. Nebraska's just sort of become a bad team. Uh, some of that's related to, I don't know, all, all kinds of stuff. Uh, but, but we'll see if that changes under Matt Rule. But the point is, is it's a fair comparison to say, hey, Nebraska went to the Big Ten, haven't been heard from since. But if you really pay attention to what's actually gone on in Nebraska, some of that's slightly more complicated than that necessarily. But if you're Oklahoma, you do have to be careful. And I do believe that Oklahoma was one of the teams that was probably dealt one of the tougher schedules of all we saw on whatever night it was this week when that came out, Wednesday, I guess. Uh, Oklahoma was one of the teams that was dealt the toughest, one of the tougher schedules. You look at what they play at home. Alabama, South Carolina, Tennessee. You look at what they play on the road. Auburn, LSU, Ole Miss, Missouri. Texas is obviously a neutral side game. Y'all, that's a lot of tough games. Texas is a tough game. Alabama's a tough game. Tennessee at home, still a tough game. Tennessee's top 25 level team right now. Think about Auburn, LSU games like that. You know, LSU, we expect to be a national championship contender. Auburn, who knows how good they'll be. But Auburn, LSU, an example of teams that when you go on the road to face them into Death Valley or into Jordan-Hare Stadium, that probably kind of raises your eyebrows more so if those teams were coming to your venue because those are notably some of the tougher environments of the SEC. This Oklahoma schedule is really very tough. And this is where you kind of circle back to what Colin Cowherd was saying. As it stands right now, we have no idea how good Oklahoma is going to be. My assumption is they're going to take a step forward with uh you know Brent Venables here in year two but in fairness I also thought they'd be better last year they turned out to be I think that Jackson Arnold might be the best freshman quarterback in college football 
and I believe he's going to probably be the Oklahoma starter. So better quarterback to pair with what might be at least the early makings of a Brent Venables defense. That could be a pretty good recipe. I think Oklahoma could make some noise here in the Big 12 this year in their final season, which means coming into the SEC in 2024, they could be set up to at least be competitive. You know, for instance, in 2024, who's better, Tennessee or Oklahoma? I mean, your guess is as good as mine. I don't, I don't think we can say with certainty there on that, but it does appear on paper that Oklahoma has a very tough schedule. And frankly, if Venables doesn't perform much better in year two, knowing what Oklahoma has to play in year three, does Venables even get a year three? I, I don't know. Um, that depends on buyouts and everything else. But all of these programs are going to have to make big decisions about how you prepare yourself for what is, for almost everybody, a tougher schedule than what you're used to playing. And speaking of that, moving on to my next loser from the SEC schedule released the other day, I believe that it's Alabama. And this is the point that I've kind of tried to make to Georgia fans, is that Georgia fans, I think, are on guard for saying, ah, oh, the SEC stuck it to us. The SEC, you know, treated us unfairly once again. Nothing that Georgia had happened to it this week via the 2024 schedule comes close at all to resembling what happened in 2012 when Georgia played at Auburn two years in a row. There is nothing on this slate anywhere close to what that was. That was, I believe, a slap in the face. Nothing that happened to Georgia here this week is a slap in the face. Yes, you're playing a second consecutive time in uh, Tuscaloosa, but the previous time was 2020. That's four years ago, and that was an empty stadium. There were no, essentially no fans in the stadium. Georgia lost that game, but they didn't lose because of being on the road. Uh, I was there. It was, there was zero atmosphere. Um, so the point is, is you can't compare what happened to Georgia to what happened in 2012 when, when you had to play at Auburn two years in a row. And if you want to say, well, Georgia, you know, the SEC stuck it to Georgia. I think the Alabama schedule makes it hard to make that case. Look who Alabama's playing. You know, Nick Saban had complained about the three permanent opponents. Well, guess what? He got all of them. He got LSU. He got Tennessee. He got Auburn. Plus, he's got a road game at Oklahoma. Um, you know, obviously a road game at you know, at Tennessee, um, you know, you know, you know, having to play Georgia, that's no easy schedule for Alabama in 2024. So when you look at the Georgia schedule in 2024 and you think, ah, oh, the SEC, for whatever reason, either because of the perception of Georgia's 2023 schedule or whatever, you know, favoritism towards Alabama, whatever else. When you see the Alabama schedule, I think it becomes very hard to make the case that somehow Georgia was treated unfairly in comparison to the Crimson Tide. What Alabama's playing is certainly not easy. And by the way, once again, you want to talk about, you know, having a hard time seeing that far into the future. We have no idea how good Alabama's going to be in 2024 either. This is a team that lost two regular season games this past year. Frequently, more and more, their wins are coming by narrow margins, touchdown or less. They've played horribly on the road now going back for a little while here if that replicates itself in 2023 then the schedule awaiting Alabama in 2024 y'all that could really be a very different version of the SEC where Alabama is not even really considering the conversation as national championship contender things like that now this is also a team that's still got a very deep roster going to get major freshman contributions this year from a couple of guys that Georgia would like to have had going to have one of the better offensive lines in the country so maybe Alabama kind of corrects itself from where it was a year ago but with no Bryce Young with no Will Anderson Jr. that's not easy to do and whatever Alabama is this year kind of laying the groundwork for what's going to be I think a very challenging 2024 schedule I think that's I think I think that's 
the the near future in Tuscaloosa is going to be fascinating. Let me just say it that way. And then my final loser to give you here is Florida. Now they're a loser in every respect all the time. But when it comes to the schedule, I think that's doubly true. Are you talking about road games against Tennessee, Texas, and Mississippi State? The game against Georgia, of course, and Jacksonville. And then the home slate is Texas A&M, LSU, Ole Miss, and Kentucky. So I'm going to tell you right now, based on what Florida was this year, is any of those games not losable? Uh, A&M, of course, that's losable. LSU, they'll be an underdog. Ole Miss, that's losable. Kentucky even. I mean, Kentucky's beaten Florida with regularity, it seems, lately. Tennessee on the road, that's not easy. Texas on the road, that's not easy. Mississippi State on the road, you know, that may be the easiest of the bunch, but you know, let's find out what Zach Arnett's able to do here in his first year before we make any kind of evaluation about that. And, of course, Georgia, they'll be lucky to get out of there alive. Uh, that's what Florida plays in the SEC in 24. But in addition to that, they also run the gauntlet of all of the Power 5 teams in their own state now. They're playing Miami. They always play Florida State. And they're playing UCF there as well. UCF, of course, beat Florida in their previous matchup in the bowl game a couple of years ago. Gus Malzahn, you know he's got that game circled. They're in the Big 12 now. Uh, Malzahn, I believe, you know, he's definitely better i, I, I want to say he's the he's the best power five coach uh, in the state of florida but uh, i'll give norvell the nod on that for right now but he's certainly a better coach i believe right now than billy napier is you better believe that malzahn wants to prove that in that particular game uh ucf florida is pretty big deal in 2024 i think uh and that's what florida plays in addition to that full sec slate right there Billy Napier better find some wins somewhere. That's all I'm going to tell you. He better find some wins somewhere, and they may be hard to come by this year, next year, and for as many years as he's lucky enough to stay employed. And we'll make that cruising around the SEC, courtesy of Royal Caribbean. And, of course, speaking of the lousy, stinking Gators, we'll get to them here in a moment. And speaking of Georgia fans feeling good down there in the state of Florida, more evidence of that rolls in. i love to see this uh vin dog here writes he's dog down south he says i'm living amongst these lousy stinking gators and it just got a little easier worthy of my first tweet ever how about that for vin dog first ever tweet as a daily listener thank you and dog nation for all you do boy i really appreciate that vin that's awesome to see he gives you the hashtag gator hater hashtag go dogs hashtag golden shoe hashtag back to back and you see that georgia themed florida license plate with a 33 to 18 score on a beautiful white bmw giving you an idea of the uh uh, nice socioeconomic class that our audience lives in. Uh, very nice looking BMW there. Very nice looking 33 to 18 Florida license plate with the Georgia G on it. That is symbolic of the dominance that Georgia shows everywhere, but specifically down there in the Sunshine State. So, Vin Dog, welcome to Twitter. Thanks for a great tweet and a well deserved golden shoe for you. And lousy, stinking Gators. How about 134 days from right now? Georgia back in Jacksonville, beating florida again that is our gator hater countdown y'all have a great weekend happy father's day to all the fathers out there we'll see you back here monday for dog nation daily presented by kroger